The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc and Spencer the Wizard. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Bruce Grossinger. I'm a clinical neurologist practicing outside of Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware. And my practice deals with spinal injuries, concussions, and the exploding field of bioregenerative orthopedics. Today, we're going to go over the NCAA tournament wrap-up, as well as a recap of an exciting Masters tournament culminated in the victory by an American golfer. In the latter portion of the show, we want you to stay tuned. Well, Spencer, uh, we just pulled up to the beautiful Fountain Blue in Miami, Florida. Give a shout out to all of our friends. That was not, I must say, not a toilet flushing. That was the sound of raging fountains in this beautiful, angelic setting. And without any further ado, I want to welcome the co-host of the show right here from Wiz City. Spetsy, the wizard, who's going to roll us into our first segment of Sports Update. What's up, uh, co-host Bruce the Sports Doc? I'm Spencer the Wizard, live from Wiz City. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Wiz City. Oh, yeah. And, uh, of course, that wasn't toilet flushing. No, 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 no. That would, that would not happen here, put it that way. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I just want to see how everyone's doing. I uh, hope everyone's having a great week. Um, you know, great, great week in the, uh, week of sports. Said week like three times, but let's not get hung up on details. Um, you know, Bruce the Sports Doc and I today were doing a little father and son tradition of watching the Masters and hearing Jim Nance. A tradition unlike any other, the Masters on CBS. That voice just brings peace to your mind, and uh, it's it's sad when it's over. But uh, we we did ha- we did enjoy a great Masters Sunday, and uh, we did play some golf ourselves. Not not as well as Bubble played this weekend, but we had a modified version of uh, of our little run at the Masters um, on some aerated greens. But you know we still had a lot of fun. Um, you know springtime's here, and uh, just happy to be back on the show. And uh, we have a lot to get to this week, so uh, I'll pass back to Bruce the Sports Talk, and we can get started. Well. Masters week. It started with so much promise. Tiger Woods, his first victory since 2009 at Bay Hill. By all accounts, 
he was ready for the Masters. He'd won three times at Augusta. He was peaking for this. And it all looked good. But then the actual tournament came. That's when, that's when Tiger, unfortunately, went south. Uh, he was in neutral for most of the week, hovering around even par. And, you know, I think the the key was, you know, he had, I mean, the thing, the reason why he didn't produce, you know, good rounds was because when he'd fought, he'd, he'd gotten off to a good start in three of his uh, four rounds, you know, birding the first couple of holes. But then um, he would hit an errant drive. And, and the errant drives on Augusta, you just can't have. And he, he had to play catch up. Way, way too often than he should have, and he didn't give himself enough opportunities. With, you know, with uh, with iron shots from the fairway or a first cut of rough, and he couldn't attack the pins. And he was, you know, battling and having to sink par putt after par putt. And you know, his putter this week was just was just mediocre. You know, it wasn't like a, the Tiger were accustomed to seeing on the greens either. So his driving this week uh, definitely let him down a little bit. And that that you know if you you know I think that putting is the most important part of your game because I think that putting does win major championships and you have to sink clutch putts to win. I think that golfing, I think that driving the golf ball though, um, if if you can't drive the ball in the fairway, you won't even have a chance to to compete for the championship. I think that you know great players separate themselves from the good ones on the greens, but to be able to to have those important putts, you have to hit great. You have to hit drives that are that are playable. And Tiger was hitting on unplayable drives, and you can't start a hole like that and expect to be putting for something significant like a birdie or a par on a hole. So you need to have your driver be somewhat decent. And I think that he was missing that all week and just couldn't control it. Well, look, let's look at it a little bit deeper. Um, what exactly? What exactly was going on? What, what happened to his swing? Well. As you know, Spencer and I carefully, you know, we look at a lot of clips and we watch a lot of film. And in looking at this and reviewing it, one common theme was that Tiger, his swing just hasn't taken, you know. Last week it was good at Bay Hill. He said that he still has his old backswing from Hank Haney, who is his old coach, but he's using a downswing from Sean Foley, you know, totally different ways of swinging. And he says that old muscle memories are creeping into his backswing. And the result is uh, a, a snap hook, like a, a bad like duck hook. And interestingly, Augusta does not have any rough. However, it has so many trees. It has something called pine straw, which is, if you've ever, if you play golf at all, hitting off a pine straw is, you know, it's almost like hitting off a Brillo. It snuffs your shot. It's very hard to hit off of there. And there's also a lot of water on the course. So he, it seemed like he was fighting the trees. He was hitting the ball out of bounds. And also I noticed during rounds three and four, he also was uncharacteristically losing his cool in the course. He did something on Saturday where he actually kicked a golf club 10 yards into a sand trap. And he said he hurt his toe. I mean, he didn't get injured. But the thing about the PGA, unlike any other league, is and Spence, you may not know this, when they offer, when they suspend people or fine them, they do it in secret. So I think that Tiger Woods can expect a fine for kicking a golf club, certainly at Augusta, where uh, sportsmanship is uh, is really important. So, like you said, uh, Tiger, uh, 
you finished at the bottom of the pack. He made the cut just barely. Uh, had a, had a, you know, bad tournament. One of his first tournaments where he did not have any birdies from par fives. Normally with his length and his accuracy, he usually makes most of his birdies of par fives. He actually had no birdies of par fives and also, I believe, maybe one birdie on a par three. So for him, uncharacteristically poor and, uh, and he was out of the tournament. But let's focus on the other aspects. I want to say some more things about Tiger. Um, with his swing, you know, Tiger Woods, when he was younger, he would either be really on or he or he would be off. And a lot of golfing pros and instructors saw a lot wrong with his swing. Um, and when Tiger won at the 97 Masters, there were still critics on his swing, like saying, how does he do this? Or he's not going to be consistent playing that way. It's all about coordination and, and like the way he takes it back or the way – or on his uh, – on his, um, you know, on his back, on his um, back swing, and his follow through, and uh, Tiger Woods in the past uh, two years have has gone to Sean Foley, and he's looked at his swing so closely. He's such a perfectionist, and I was wondering what you thought maybe on uh, is Tiger Woods work because Bubba Watson a couple weeks ago or I think a couple months ago said Tiger's just thinking about his mechanics too much instead of just letting his his um his instinct creep in and um and just and just playing and just hitting his shots and just naturally going with his instincts in the swing. Well, it's true. Golf is a uh it's really I think the most difficult game. And you know, I'm I'm certainly not an expert in the game, but I've but I've devoted a lot of time to studying it. And there's an old saying that when you're on the practice green, that's what you practice. You you work on mechanics, you work on timing. Uh, and Tiger certainly well known for his practice regimen, his weightlifting, his cardio. But when you get on the course and you've got to take a swing, you've got to just let it go. You have to trust your swing and let it go. It seems that Tiger is still uh, he still has some old muscle um, memories, you know from. His days with Hank Haney. So he's combining. You think he's combining the two teachers together, and and that probably won't work. Do you think that's that's one of your theories for how he's playing? Well, uh, let me be clear. I I don't know, and uh, I'm just listening to what he's saying. He also is. Um, he's trying to be patient. He always talks about trying to get the most out of what he has, and it just seems that. You know, this game just used to come so naturally for him, especially putting. And now it's a struggle. You know, you, you see these, he's really trying hard. He's running to frustration. And it makes us wonder whether he's going to uh, recapture the magic in the majors. You know, there's a, there's a lot of great players out there. And I think it's appropriate that we, uh, we segue uh, as we uh, begin the next segment. I think it's important that we pay tribute to uh, Louis Usenhausen. Ustazen. or Usenhausen. You could pronounce his name like maybe a hundred different ways. And also, of course, the winner, Bob, Bubba Watson, an exciting playoff. So uh, in any event, uh, this first segment just really flew by. It was the beginning of a Masters update. And there's also going to be an NCAA recap, Kentucky Wildcats against Kansas Jayhawks. So... 
A lot of exciting stuff. We appreciate your listening, and we'll be back in three minutes. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fans' perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc and Spencer the Wizard. This is a show that will combine sports medicine as well as intensive analysis of professional sports. We'll do this in a timely fashion. We also will deal with college sports and other relevant issues in the news. Well, this week, we culminate the ending of March Madness. And as April approaches, Easter is here, we also have what I consider to be the most important tournament of the year, the Masters, has come and gone. And here we are, my co-host, Spencer the Wizard Grossinger, an accomplished golfer, and certainly a student of the game, is going to break down what he believes caused Bubba Watson to finally get over the top and win his first major. Well, you know, it's it's interesting that... Uh we're, we're talking actually we we were talking about Tiger Woods 
And right now, I'd say that Bubba Watson and Tiger Woods are complete opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, Bubba Watson even gave advice out for Tiger in a friendly manner. He said that uh, Tiger should just let go of everything and stop you know looking at his swings uh you know out of technicality he should not he should stop being so technical on the technique and just play the game and that's exactly what bubba does he doesn't do it the conventional way he actually has never had a golf lesson in his life and he's pretty much taught himself how to play this game and he is probably the most unique golfer i have ever seen um his swing the way he can shape the golf ball he i describe him as a freak of nature out there on the course he can hit the ball 330 yards he can hit a draw of 40 yards he can he can put the he can move the ball 40 yards left or 40 yards right he just has all the trick shots he has all the shots in the bag and it's rare to see a guy that he can be erratic, Bubba Watson, and it's rare to see a guy that's so unconventional really compete at majors, but the reason why Bubba hung in today was his putting from four feet in. When he had to make an important birdie putt, he would make it. When he had a five-footer, he would not choke. He would step up to the plate, and he would make it. On the back nine, he took care of the par fives. He birdied both of the par fives, and on 16, that was really the shot of the tournament, where he got it to within five feet on a hole where everyone was going right and and missing the landing spot. Bubba Watson, it, it, he, he challenged that water, and he snuck it right in there the five feet, and he buried that putt down for birdie. Um, you also have to give tremendous credit to, to Louis Oosthuizen. His double eagle at the first hole was maybe the most exciting shot. It, it, you know, maybe of all, well, it, it has to be in the top five shots of all time at the Masters. Getting a two on a par five is almost, well, it, it's unheard of. It's almost impossible. And for Oosthuizen, he landed the ball on the green, and the ball traveled about 80 feet on the green and went in the hole. It was an unbelievable shot. And Oosthuizen, when he had to hit those 10-foot par putts, he would make it. On the back nine, he played flawless golf. He was driving the ball very well, and he almost played mistake-free golf. But Bubba Watson, his his approach shots, and when Watson, he his driving was very good today. He only had, I, I, I could think of, two poor drives the whole back nine and in the playoff. And on 17 he hit a tremendous shot from the pine needles and that yeah that's that bubba watson has tremendous instinct for the game he knows how to how to craft shots like that and he's known how to deal with erratic driving and he's one of the best recoverers in the game because bubba watson is used to he's he's kind of like a gambler out there he's going to take a full hack at it and in even if the ball goes 320 yards and it's in a pine and it's in pine needles and trees he's played his whole golfing career like that getting out of trouble in the woods he knows how to play he knows how to get out of those situations and today and that's just his style and today a perfect example was on the playoff it was a sudden death playoff. The first person to win, the first person to get a lower score would win. 
You had Ustazen, who was 230 yards back. He had his drive to the right, but it hit a tree and kicked out. You thought he had the upper hand because Bubba Watson went so far right, no one could see his ball. It was it was hidden in trees and in pine needles. But he had an open alley. He had an open alleyway to hit a shot. But Ustazen came up short of the green, and then Bubba Watson hit a shot. He had to hook it around these trees 40 yards, and the roadside gambler Bubba Watson pulled it off. And 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 then he went on the two putt for the win. So Bubba Watson, he he's one of my favorite players because he's such a chuckler on tour. Every he has he's friends with everybody um, on tour, and he's just such an easygoing guy. You know, he you rarely see him lose his temper out there, and that that's his demeanor out there today. He was so calm and cool on the back nine. And, you know, he was making putts, but he didn't get upset when he hit an errant drive. He knew he had the confidence to be able to recover from that situation. And that that's what makes Bubba special. And it was so great to see him cry, crying at the end of his championship. He's, he just is such a human, down-to-earth guy, you know. He really shows human emotion. And he was crying, and, and he was actually hugging his mom. And even Ricky Fowler, Ben Crane, Aaron Baddeley, all friends that are on the PGA Tour of Bubba and Louie were there congratulating the two. And uh, a great performance by Bubba, but you also have to give credit to Louie Ustazen. Just a great playoff and a great Masters. Well, I think that's a beautiful summary. You know, uh, one thing, that a gift that you have, Spencer, is to, uh, and Spencer doesn't, you know, rarely, if ever, does he use notes. He has the ability to, to just digest a sporting event, you know, as we were watching the Masters and remember every single detail and analyze it. And that's um, why he's a great asset to our show. And uh, just to amplify on some of the things, uh, Bubba Watson, you know, to see him, he kind of represents the, the common man. You know, he is a uh, a funny guy. He's got a lot of, say, you know, funny sayings and He's well-liked because he's not a fancy person. And to see him sitting in the butler cabin, you know, with, um, you know, well, we don't want to say anything because, you know, w- with respect to, uh, you know, the club or anything, it is obviously a very stated conservative club. And uh, But to see him there with uh, with Jim Nance and uh, the president of the club, uh it just to see him get a green jacket, it was almost like watching like a little kid, you know, get, getting his first suit. And uh, it also causes me to harken back to the uh, tournament that we watched at Whistling Straits, uh, the PGA tournament. Certainly one that was, was viewed because of the, uh, the penalty that Dustin Johnson got for hitting the ball out of a sand trap and, 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 you know, grounding his club. And Bubba Watson was right there, if you remember that. And Bubba Watson at the time, you know, he was a riverboat gambler. I remember him attempting a shot. He was at the left side, and he attempted an impossible shot, and he hit it in the water. And a lot of people criticized him for just not being smart. You know, if he would have laid up, he Bubba might have been in the playoff and may have won that. So... Um, I think there's, you know, and I think with Phil Mickelson, a lot of times earlier in his career, he used to want to flop it from everywhere. Like, he's a great flopper, but, you know, they used to have questions about his course management. He was so aggressive and so confident. And I think the same thing was Bubba, that he was able to pull off 
really managing his game, managing a very difficult course, and really um, you know getting to the top and winning a major. And also, I can't remember a time, and I've seen a lot of golf, where um, where a pro wins a major, and then other other PGA Tour pros really line up to hug him and pay tribute to him at the scene, right on the green. Certainly didn't see that with Tiger Woods. Certainly he's, um, you know, I think he was great. For, he is great for the game and was great for the game, but it was really him against everybody else. And Phil Mickelson, you know, is a very bright guy. Uh, some people think at times he's a little arrogant or elitist. Uh, and but to have Bubba Watson, you know, to have all of his his friends come up and give him a hug and have tears in his eyes was truly a moving moment. And uh, when you watch a lot of sports, to actually see something like that that, that really moves you is um, is worth mentioning. Yeah, as as he was crying, you know, that was also bringing tears to my eyes and also giving me goosebumps as well because just, you know, everything that he's he's worked for, he's worked for his whole life is to win a green jacket. And you really see human emotion coming from Bubba Watson. You're right, when Tiger Woods would win, to him, um, he, you know, he just took it as a great victory, but to him it was just another tournament. But to a guy like Bubba Watson, this really meant the world to him. And that was just so beautiful to see. He he wanted it so badly. And those were tears of joy and, and things that he'll remember for the rest of his life. And to, to be there with his mother. But also, you're right, you know, he it just shows how well-liked he is on the golf course to see Ricky Fowler stay extra after the rounds to watch Bubba play and then to go out and hug him. That was just such a cool thing. It was really cool to see other PGA players doing that and to see him, you know, with his mom and to see him receive the green jacket. You know, you just felt joy for the guy. And... um you know, to go back quickly on the comment from Whistling Straits, a lot of people said a guy that that is that much of a risk taker will not win a will not win a major because he just takes too many risks, and you know, soon he he lives and dies by his risks and by his by his driving. Well, Bubba, he doesn't take the layup shot, and today his risk taking paid off. And that's really special to see is that he knows his game and he's not going to change it for anybody. And that's a great trait to have in life is that if you have a special talent, you shouldn't let, you know, even if the critics say stuff, you still got to believe what you believe and, and go with it. And that's a special thing about Bubba is he hasn't changed his game for anyone. And today he got rewarded and, and just was a really special tournament. And that's just, that's just Bubba being Bubba. He doesn't play the conventional way. And today, his risk-taking paid off at the Masters. Well, this segment really uh, flew by as they tend to uh, pretty deep analysis of, of the Masters tournament. And uh, certainly for all of you who watched it, it was a record-setting uh, day. Uh, obviously, Tiger was not in contention. And it's unusual to... Uh, Watch a, a Masters where he actually plays but is not in contention. But yet still, uh, I believe all the, the viewers were riveted you know, at the end there when he won the playoff. So in any event, in the next segment, we're going to dive right into the NCAA, Kentucky Wildcats, Kansas Jayhawks. And we are going to you know, dissect the tournament, talk about the players, talk about some of those collegiate players who are jumping to the NBA. And uh, so that'll be in our next segment. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you're enjoying it. 
It's Dr. Bruce Grossinger with Spencer the Wizard. Go get yourself a snack. We'll be back in three. internet flagship station for sports voice america sports dr bruce grossinger is a board certified neurologist and managing partner of grossinger neuropain specialist serving the philadelphia and wilmington delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine pain management interventional spinal surgeries and occupational medicine dr bruce is the director of the national sports concussion program and works as a senior medical advisor for the national high school coaches association we're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Play ball! If you're looking to talk baseball, even in the offseason, look no further than the King's Corner. Talking baseball with former World Series champion Jim Lairitz. Jim's known for a rather controversial stance during his show. He's brutally honest and ready to talk with current and former players, owners, and other key figures to bring you baseball from an insider's view. You won't want to miss a single episode. The King's Corner, talking baseball with Jim Lairitz, is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports... Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Bruce at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. Today we're going to cover the dreaded Achilles rupture. Following the last out of Game 5 of the National League playoff series between the Cardinals and Phillies, Ryan Howard collapsed in agony. He suffered a full rupture of his left Achilles tendon. This is one of the most devastating injuries in sports in that it requires one of the longest rehab periods. We're going to cover why that is. Firstly, the anatomy. The Achilles tendon is the thickest and strongest tendon in the human body. It connects the calf muscle, which is called the gastrocnemius, down to the heel bone, which is called the calcaneus. Depending on speed, stride, and weight, the Achilles tendon is strong enough 
to withstand up to 12 times a person's body weight during a sprint or push-off. So how is it that this tendon is injured? It's usually a ballistic load, either by accelerating or changing positions or cutting. In this case, Ryan Howard was sprinting out of the batter's box. And he tore his left Achilles. The feeling he got was similar to the feeling that your host, that would be me, got in 1997 during a weekend warrior basketball game at the Springfield Healthplex. It felt like somebody struck me in the back of my left heel with a two-by-four. I looked around to see who the perpetrator was, and nobody was there. That is, when I tore my Achilles following a cut in a basketball game, there was a full rupture, and Ryan Howard had a similar commentary after his tear. He felt, and his perception was, that he was struck with his own bat, and that's what caused the Achilles tear, because that's exactly what it feels like. The Achilles tendon was named after the ancient Greek hero of the Trojan War, Achilles. That is, this small part of his body known as the Achilles tendon was his tragic flaw. He was killed by an arrow shot into his heel. So that's how we call this, why we call this an Achilles tendon. Before we talk about treatment, let's talk about prevention. Correct footwear, very, very important. Particularly, with high-arched shoes in the games of basketball and tennis, and also proper sports taping in order to allow for extra protection or padding for the Achilles tendon is very important. There are certain things called anti-pronation or motion shoes, and also certain orthotics could be helpful in preventing Achilles injuries. Also, proper warm-up and stretching before sports activities is imperative in order to protect one from this injury. However, there's no absolute protection. We can look back at Atlanta Hawks Hall of Famer Dominique Wilkins actually tore both Achilles at different times. The first... Part of treatment of an Achilles is proper diagnosis. Firstly, there's a McMurray's test where there's actually, you palpate, and if there is a full rupture, there will actually be a discontinuity in the Achilles tendon, which is very easy to note. And uh, I certainly recall that with my own Achilles tear. Uh, Normally, there's a fibrous cord, and instead, there's just a space there. There's also a complete lack of the ability to uh, to use that muscle, which is to plant our flex or move the foot in a downward position. So basically, you know, lose your ability to plant our flex. You basically are rendered unable to stand or walk. The acute, the acute treatment is anti-inflammatory medications and ice, and then surgery, usually within a few hours to a few days. I went to surgery within 24 hours of my tear. The surgery is, uh, is not that complicated. Basically, the surgeon goes and retrieves the upper portion of the heel cord, 
sometimes up as high as the calf muscle. And then basically uh, plantar flexes the foot, that is brings the foot down completely to uh, connect or reanastomose the two parts of the Achilles. So there's a very firm suture and closure. And then the foot is, cla- is casted in a downward direction in plantar flexion. Over the next few weeks, there are a series of casts that are placed and removed, and the patient graduates to a walking boot, which is also called a Donjoy, D-O-N-J-O-Y boot. This is the same company that makes the uh, Donjoy knee brace, which was made famous by uh, Dan Marino, who wore that heavy knee brace uh, throughout the latter part of his playing career. The MRI can be utilized as a confirmatory test for an Achilles tendon rupture. Though the tear is confirmed physically by simply squeezing the calf muscles and the foot doesn't move, you can't palpate the tendon. It's a torn, it's a torn Achilles. Operatively, the incision is three to four inches behind the ankle. The risks of the operation to repair of an Achilles are similar to any time there's an operation. That is, infection, scarring, bleeding, poor wound healing. It's unusual for there to be a re-tear or re-rupture of the Achilles tendon, but it is certainly a possibility. In the old days, some cases were treated non-operatively, that is, for partial tears. However, the risks of non-operation include a higher risk of re-rupture and possible loss of strength with pushing off of activity. So for a professional athlete, the treatment is almost always surgical. Why is the recovery time so slow? Up to six months. The reason is because the Achilles tendon has a very poor blood supply. And therefore, the healing process is painfully slow. Painfully slow, excuse me. Nothing to do with snow, of course. So, essentially, throughout this process, it's very painful. The Donjoy boot is a laced up, it's actually a Velcroed up uh, boot, which is worn up to the knee. It can be used to assist patients in walking while they recover and while the Achilles slowly heals. A very important part of rehab is to restore range of motion. Gradually try to restore the range of motion with respect to lifting the foot up or dorsiflexion because that's what stretches out the Achilles. So if there is a, uh, a tight Achilles, if there is a contracture, there may be loss of bringing the toe up, which is called dorsiflexion or toe extension. So the rehab has to be uh, very uh, has to be on a daily basis, and involves strengthening the calf. When the patient comes out of the cast, as I recall, the calf muscle is gone, and it has to be completely rehabilitated. With respect to Ryan Howard. He completed the Achilles tendon surgery, which went well, and he's now in the period of casting. The goal is to get it back early next season, but there's certainly no guarantees. 
Well, he will have the benefit of the best team of physical therapists and rehab doctors. There is an individual variability in the healing process. And when you have a very large, powerful athlete, uh, obviously the recovery is, is, is painful, as is the rehabilitation. So let's summarize the Achilles. It's a tendon that connects the calf to the foot. It's extremely strong. can hold up to ballistic forces of 12 times the body weight. However, during push-off or ballistic movements, the athlete can partially or completely tear the Achilles. The diagnosis is easily confirmed using physical testing, though the MRI is often used, as in the case of Ryan Howard. Early treatment, ice, elevation, anti-inflammatories, usually followed by corrective surgery, three to four inch incision, reanastomosis, that is connecting the Achilles tendon, followed by progressive casting, and finally, a period of rehabilitation of six to eight months. And it will take up to 12 months for the athlete to return to full action, full running and cutting. The, the purpose of the rehab is to restore strength to the calf, flexibility and dexterity, and to restore range of motion in the foot and ankle structure. So this has been a summary of the sports medicine topic, Achilles tear pertaining to Philly's first baseman, Ryan Howard, and your humble host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, who share one thing in common, and that would be the full rupture of a left Achilles tendon. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in a few. flagship station for sports voice america sports dr bruce grossinger is a board certified neurologist and managing partner of grossinger neuropain specialist serving the philadelphia and wilmington delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine pain management interventional spinal surgeries and occupational medicine dr bruce is the director of the national sports concussion program and works as a senior medical advisor for the national high school coaches association we're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Tune in to a show about making a comeback 
and what really goes on behind the scenes with your favorite athletes and beyond. Listen for The Comeback Radio Show with Tony Farmer. A lot of people believe what they read on the internet, hear and see in the media, and on the news. We're going to give our guests the chance to tell the real story without the extra hype. It's not just sports, although that will be a focal point of the program. We'll also look at the world of celebrities, music, modeling, and more. Listen every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment. This is Spencer the Wizard. And this is Bruce the Sports Doc, and you're listening to Voice America Sports on the Sports Division of Voice America. And uh, we really want to talk about some March Madness. We really want to look back at our shining moments um, of the tournament. And as the one shining moments played, um, as you heard the, the last um, parts of the song, you saw Anthony Davis, you saw... Something you haven't seen before, which is John Calipari um, holding up the championship, the NCAA championship, Division One basketball championship. And that is his first one that he's ever won, his first championship. Now, John Calipari has always been a big recruiter. And ever since his coaching days at UMass, he has brought f- three programs to, four fi- to, to the Final Four in, in Kentucky, um, Memphis, and um and UMass. Was he also a coach at Providence? I'm thinking of Rick Patino, I think. I think I'm thinking of Rick. But uh you know, you look at this Kentucky team and you know, for me, I think top to the bo- top to bottom, they were the most talented team in the country. And uh and they were going to, you know, probably make it to the final four and have a great chance at winning. Um and you know, North Carolina, if healthy, would have given them a great game also, I think. But um you know, I think that Kansas and Louisville were great, you know, great competitions for Kentucky. And uh, what are your thoughts, Bruce, on, on the champion Kentucky Wildcats? Well, it was a case of men amongst boys. Um, Bill Self, uh, I thought, did a beautiful job, his best coaching job ever. Looking at Kansas, uh, they, they had uh, Tyshawn Taylor as a guard who, uh, you know, certainly is a good ball handler and a good, good passer. Unfortunately, he had his troubles in the tournament. You know, missed over twenty-three pointers, and uh, they do had two. They had nice uh, uh, deep coverage. They had two big men, and uh, but Kentucky certainly was phenomenal. And you have to give Color Park credit because we have seen teams in the past. If we, we go back to Guy Smith, five slam majama teams with uh, Kima Lajuan and. Uh, you know, essentially five NBA pros not be able to win. We've seen teams in Georgetown with Patrick Ewing just not pull it, pull it together and win. So just the fact that you have five McDonald's All-Americans, especially freshmen, to be able to have them, you know, blended together. And one of the things that was really – so, again, Kentucky was tremendous. 
Kansas had to run at the end. But uh, unfortunately, Kansas really had trouble shooting in the second half. Stifling defense by Kentucky. And again, as Fetcher said, they ended up holding the trophy. So let's look at the tournament. Let's look at some of the highlights. Let's look at the Lehigh Mountain Hawks, my old alma mater. They've been in the tournament approximately six times since the inception of the NCAA tournament. They've won exactly no times until one shining moment this year. The Lehigh Mountain Hawks upset the Duke Blue Devils. What I think it was the, it was the game of the tournament. They played tremendous. Uh, Duke was a little bit flat. And Lehigh capitalized on Duke's tendency to take the outside shot. Then Lehigh played Xavier, and Xavier had a guy named Kenny Freeze down low, seven-footer. Kenny had um, the best game of his career, 32 points. Lehigh had no answers. Also, looking at it, certainly the Big East you know, had a very good showing. Syracuse and Louisville, Rick Petito. It's seeing a dream matchup, you know, having spent a year at the University of Louisville in my training, you can't really imagine the rivalry between Louisville and Kentucky. To actually see them go head-to-head in the Final Four. Also, Rick Petito and John Calipari, there's definitely a rivalry there, but they were both true gentlemen. And Petito, uh, you know, tipped his hat to Calipari. So that was certainly one of the highlights of the tournament. And Louisville came close. They really came close to beating the Wildcats. And I think it's because of Patino, his strategy. They had played earlier in the year. And Patino is a wonderful coach. So that was certainly one of the highlights of the tournament. Uh, some disappointment. Spencer's, t- uh, Spencer's uh, conference is the Missouri Valley. So you had Creighton and Wichita State. Unfortunately for us, we watch a lot of that, you know, which, which is good. But I think we tended to overvalue the, um, the Valley teams in the tournament, and that was certainly our downfall. Spencer, uh, his bracket, you know, definitely burned very quickly because he had Wichita State going very deep into the tournament. Unfortunately for me, I, like 80% of the people in the tournament, had Kentucky winning, but this year it was not a big deal because almost everybody did, and uh, we finished way outside of the uh, money for our $10 buy-in for our local pool. Looking ahead, Kendall Marshall, who, as you recall, fractured his right scaphoid bone and had surgery, will make a complete recovery and is entering the NBA draft. And looking at it, the loss of Marshall really was the uh, the dagger that kept UNC, in my mind, from moving all the way to the finals. You know, a valiant effort by their young players, but without Marshall, he just couldn't get over the top. And now, as always, many of the players have declared for the NBA. Solinger out of Ohio State, I think will be a top five draft pick. Uh, Just a real versatile player. Anthony Davis, who is the Naismith Awards winner for Best College Player of the Year. Just phenomenal. Just a shot-blocking machine, really, really mature for a freshman. And as he said, when they beat Louisville, 
he basically said, this is my stage. And he took that all the way to beating Kansas. And certainly Anthony Davis is the MVP. It'll be a great pro. And he is projected by nearly everybody to be the first pick in the NBA draft. Certainly the Charlotte Hornets have the worst record, but you know how the NBA goes with their uh, lottery system. They have a uh, ping pong balls and the worst team doesn't always get the first pick. So we'll see what happens, but Anthony Davis will be a great pro. Certainly Kendall Marshall uh, has declared it also will be a great pro. You also have uh, Rivers from Duke, who is also declared. And I think, uh, I think is it ready to be a star in the NBA? Harrison Barnes, everybody's All-American number one when he joined UNC. Not surprisingly, has declared for the NBA. And I think that he, too, will be a good pro. But at times in the tournament, showed his immaturity. He sometimes would get out of control, and he took some bad shots, and, and at times he would get trapped on the baseline. Uh, Zeller, of course, from UNC is a senior, so he uh, he finished a, a very distinguished career at UNC. And I think as a seven-footer, there will always be a place for you in the NBA. So these are some of the people who have declared for the NBA. And certainly... Uh, the tournament started out a little slow the first day. There weren't many upsets. Then uh, Norfolk State and Lehigh uh, were the big upset winners. And after that, Kentucky just rolled through its bracket. Ohio State, Louisville, and Kansas made it to the Final Four. We want to certainly acknowledge the Coach of the Year, Bill Self, for Kansas. As I said, um, not his most talented team, but tremendous uh, coaching job. You remember that he beat John Calipari when he was at Memphis on the uh, the final shot by Mario Chalmers. Chalmers, excuse me, a little New York accent. Chalmers, Chalmers, uh, a tremendous finish, and many of us, uh, you know, really enjoyed that one. But Kentucky was not to be denied this time, and they rolled through. And at the end, they were holding the trophy. Finally, uh, Syracuse had a very nice tournament. Jim Beheim deserves props in that his best player, center Fab Mello, who will be going to the NBA, was declared ineligible, presumably academically ineligible, though they didn't. The NCAA was a bit, uh, um, a little bit circuitous about that about why he was not allowed to play the tournament, but certainly it appeared to be academic. So Fab Mello, seven-foot center, looks to be another high-round lottery pick, draft pick, will be going to the NBA. So there we are, three segments in the book. Bruce the Sports Doc, Spencer the Wizard. Looking forward to the next segment where we're going to talk about some really exciting stuff, which is how tissues can regenerate themselves, PRP, stem cells, prolotherapy.
Stay tuned. We'll be back in three. I'm Dr. Bruce Grossinger, your host, Bruce the Sports Talk on the Voice America Network. Again, thanks go out to Ray Ellis, our sports director, and as always, Michael Mitchell, our senior producer, who is always great at getting our show out. This is a week, for instance, where we really wanted to wait until the Masters was complete before we uh, produced the segments, and uh, that puts pressure on the production staff. So again, mad props to all those back in the Valley of the Sun, Phoenix, Arizona. And again, stay tuned. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Talk. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then.